0: Hi, my name is Mandy Jackson Beverly, and I'm a bibliophile. Welcome to the Bookshop Podcast. Each week, I present interviews with independent bookshop owners from around the globe, authors, and specialists in subjects dear to my heart, the environment, and social justice. To help the show reach more people, Please share it with friends and family and on social media. And remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the show, head on over to thebookshoppodcast.buzzsprout.com. Click on the orange heart in the right-hand corner of the page, where you can donate via Buy Me A Coffee. And thanks to everyone who has supported the show. You're listening to episode 180. Emily Moore is the Assistant Curator of the Aramont Library in the Rare Books and Special Collections Division at the Library of Congress. She has a double BA in Art History and Cinema from the University of Toronto and an MLIS from the University of Maryland. Moore's passions are art and archives and examining how production and process intersect with memory and object. Hi, Emily, and welcome back to the show. It's lovely to see you again. Hi, Mandy, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be back. You're welcome here anytime. You know, I was thinking back to when I first spoke with Stephanie Stilo. She was the second part in a three-part interview regarding the donation of the Aramont Library to the Library of Congress. You are now Assistant Curator of the Aramont Library in the Rare Books and Special Collections Division, and I believe you've been working on something really special, and you're here to tell us all about this event, open to the public. What can you tell us about it, please? Absolutely,
1: and again, thanks again for having me on. I'm so excited to be here to talk about this with you today. Uh, So Stephanie and I have been cooking something very exciting up in the kitchen here at Rare Books and Special Collections. Uh, On January 19th of next year, we are holding a symposium. Uh, It is called Making the Modern Book, and it is all about the Aramont Library. Uh, Because we are the Library of Congress, that means that it is free and open to the public, which is great, everybody's invited to come play. Uh, and our goal is to just introduce the Air mount to sort of the wider audience, uh, as well as have some really interesting conversations about sort of the artist book in general. So it's a whole day event. We've got speakers starting in the afternoon. And then after that, we have this really fun collections display and a little cocktail hour. And then we're topping it off with a really fun uh, roundtable discussion that I'm going to be chairing. So it's going to be dynamic and splashy, you know, sort of in the spirit of the Aramount
0: itself. It sounds fantastic. And you know what? I believe I'm going to be there. Oh, fantastic. Could We get to meet in person. Yes, I'm so excited. And I'm looking forward to hearing the speakers you have lined up for this symposium. Can you tell us a little about them, please?
1: So, you know, it's a really interesting lineup. We really wanted the speakers to reflect the holdings of the collection. Um, and as you may remember, or as your listeners may remember, the Aramount is sort of split into some rough categories, including leave d'artistes, exhibition bindings, uh, and literature. So, we wanted all of those things to really be represented. Uh, so, beyond Stephanie and myself, we have what I think is a really great lineup. Um, To start, we have the original curator of the collection coming. He is a guy named Gordon Hollis. He is coming from Los Angeles. He's a rare book dealer. Uh, He's going to be in conversation with Stephanie and myself just to kind of open up the conversation and talk about how the Aramount came to be. And then we have three really great speakers whose professional expertise uh, coincides really beautifully with the Aramount. We've got a woman named Gabby Cooksey coming. Uh, she works out of Tacoma, Washington. She is a book binder and a book artist. She makes these really interesting artistic bindings. So she'll be, you know, giving us her insight as a craftsperson, how exhibition bindings actually get made, which is going to be fascinating. Uh, and then we have a great guy named Adrian Legendre who's joining us from Paris, France. He is sort of our book world expert. He is the head of rare books and manuscripts at Christie's Paris. So he's going to really help us locate the livre d'artiste tradition sort of on a historical continuum. And help us understand how those books actually got made and understand a little bit more of the mechanics behind the business part of things. Uh, And then for the daytime portion, the last speaker we have is a scholar named Patrick Hastings. Uh, He's our neighbor. He's going to be joining us from Baltimore. And he's our James Joyce guy. So the Aramont has, uh, three variant first editions of Ulysses, which is amazing. So he'll be talking about that, uh, and specifically talking about one of the real treasures, which is a first edition of Ulysses that has a bunch of really amazing stuff folded into it, including, you know, schemas, uh, a photograph of James Joyce that was taken by Man Ray, a letter from James Joyce. So it's really this like interesting bonanza of an object
0: wow you've put together an impressive lineup it's amazing it's such a great lineup that i think
1: is going to be really fun and accessible in addition to kind of like drilling down to some of the specifics in the collection uh, and then for the evening roundtable, you know, as I mentioned, I'm going to be chairing that. And the theme of that discussion is artists approach the book. So the roundtable is going to be sort of linking the Aramount collection with our artist books collection, and sort of bridging those gaps. Uh, so I'll be on stage with Ken Scher, who is the proprietor of Tupons Press, uh, a wonderful artist out of New Jersey named Robin Holder. She's a visual artist. Uh, who we recently a group of artist books from her that are really beautiful. And then publisher and typographer Jamie Murphy of the Salvage Press, who's going to be joining us from Dublin. So I just actually had a meeting with the three of them. I know it's such a wild group. Uh, And I think it's going to be a really fun, wide ranging conversation about the book and about book arts and about what
0: books can do. So I think it's going to be interesting. People have a lot of stuff to say. Well, you've gone above and beyond putting together this impressive lineup of speakers. But I have one question. Emily, did you finish Ulysses? (laughs) Well, I was
1: preparing myself for this question. And the answer is no, but I'm still doing it. Um, It is such a practice and perseverance for me because, you know, I'm, I'm reading the book and then I'm also reading the annotations. So for like every page of Ulysses that I read, I'm probably reading five to seven pages of footnotes, but it works for anybody out there who's thinking about it. It definitely like, I feel like I'm doing it, but man, I mean, it's literally never taken me this long to read a book, but I'm getting it. I'm on the third to last episode. So I'm close. I want to do it by the time the symposium happens. That's my goal. So I'll be busy over Christmas.
0: (laughs) Yes, you will. And well done. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Now, just to make sure I have this clear, everything at the symposium at the Library of Congress regarding the Aramont Library is free to the public. Is that correct? And if it is, how do they make a reservation? Great question. Thank you. So yes, it is
1: all free and open to the public, every single piece of it which is amazing. And it's also part of the library's mission. You know what I mean? The Library of Congress is very committed to serving the American people. And then us in Rare Book, we really want the Air amount to be known for people to be able to see it, for people to even know this type of book really exists. Uh, So everybody's invited. Uh, And what I can do is I can send you our registration link. Uh, You can access it through the loc.gov backslash events. If you go to January 19th, the events will show up there. It's a little bit confusing. actually has it in two separate places. So there's the daytime symposium and then the evening roundtable, which is a little bit different. But yeah, you can register online and we'd love for everybody to be able to come. And parts of it will also be recorded uh, and posted for later viewing as well for folks who
0: obviously can't get to
1: DC. Oh
0: my goodness. What an experience this is going to be. Yeah, it's
1: going to be wild. It's And it's especially just after COVID to really be able to celebrate in person like
0: this. We're really excited. Well, no doubt this has taken you months of preparation, with people coming from overseas, organizing the speakers, and this event is at the Library of Congress, so what happens behind the scenes when organizing events such as the Aramont Library Symposium? For example, how do you decide which books to display and the order of operations? And I know this is a big question, but I think our listeners would be really interested in the -the behind-the-scenes activity.
1: No. And I appreciate you asking because it really is. I mean, it's a lot of work and I think, you know, Steph and I work as curators and that's part of what we do and it's, you know, romantic and all of that. But then a lot of the work that we do is really just sort of like nuts and bolts type stuff. Uh, so there is a ton of stuff that goes into an event like this. So starting with just the display question, uh, it's creating a display like this, it really is just like a curator's playground. So, my goal is to create a display that accurately captures the spirit of the collection while also providing a really good overview of what people can find in there. So it's a lot of looking for sort of patterns and main themes and then trying to choose items that reflect that well. So I'm setting up there's going to be three different displays. So we've sort of distilled it again into like literature, leave d'artiste, and exhibition bindings. And then within those parameters, I'm choosing items that are just representative of the collection and also. Also ones that I'm hoping will speak to the audience because you don't want to pick stuff that's so sort of opaque that people can't connect with it. I want people to both be surprised by what they see, but then also see themselves in the collection as well so that it's sort of welcoming and accessible. And then, frankly, this next part is a little bit self-indulgent, but I'm definitely choosing items that are close to my heart. Uh, It's this delicate balance of like accessibility and communication uh, that is it's fun to strike. It's definitely challenging, though. I can tell you right now I have pulled way too many books and I'm going to be going into the editing part of things, which is it's difficult. It can be a little painful. Uh, and then beyond that fun part, there's, yeah, there's just a ton of logistical work. So we have to do all the stuff in terms of like, you know, making the labels, creating handouts, figuring out tax and visa information for our international speakers, figuring out advertising and scheduling. And, you know, the Library of Congress is a massive institution. So there's a lot of cross-departmental work going on. And my library colleagues have just been totally incredible They're used to putting on this type of event, which is great. This is new for me. Uh, So I'm leaning heavily on those folks. So we've got tech people, we've got communications people, we've got security, we've got folks from our own division from Rare Book who are going to be helping out. It's, I mean, it really, you could say it takes a village, but I think it really takes a library to pull something like this off.
0: It sounds like you're organizing a huge wedding
1: Yes, it's funny that you say that,
0: because I literally said that to
1: Stephanie today. Like, it does. It feels like a wedding, because there's also catering involved. So it's, yes, this whole, and I will admit, too, I'm getting a new outfit for it. So that's a piece of the planning as well.
0: (laughs) Sometimes I think planning what you're going to wear when you've organized such a huge event is the most difficult part of the process. But tell me, do you have a favorite book from the Aramont Library that you're putting on display specifically for the symposium?
1: Right now, my favorite book <laughs> is a collaboration between uh, Saint Paul Rue and Georges Brock. It's called Out, August" in French, and the content of it is really interesting. But the thing that I love about it right now is it's a purely aesthetic choice. But it has this incredible exhibition binding, so it's a sort of rectangular shaped book that has, I believe, it's goat skin white leather cover that has these geometric colorful bands that kind of radiate from uh, the center out and kind of wrap around the book itself. And it's it looks a little bit like a lightning storm, but in a lot of different colors, while also still being sort of edited um, and almost kind of simple in the way that it's laid out. So I love that book right now, and it will be in the display.
0: That sounds truly unique. And plus, I love Brock. Me too. You and me both.
1: There's going to be a fair
0: amount of Brock. Perfect. And Emily, how are you integrating the Aramont Library into the wider library? And what questions and hurdles are you encountering as you prepare? Perhaps if you can explain what integrating a collection into the wider library means. Yeah,
1: that's a great question. So it's really an ongoing project with us. Uh, So to back up a little bit and describe what that actually is, it can be confusing. So the Aramont Library, right, is this very specific discrete collection of 1700 volumes that was given to the library as a body. So within the library, we have this little collection that is in and of itself a library. So it literally lives in its own area in our vaults. It has its own door. Uh, But with that, we are trying to integrate it into both the collections that we have in rare book and then the library more broadly. So in the rare book division, uh, I actually think the keyword is the whole title, rare book and special collections. And special collections is kind of this catch-all term that's used to describe things like ephemera and realia and archival collections. So those things all exist under our umbrella. So integrating the Aramount into Rare Book, part of what we've been doing is locating artists, for example, that are in the Aramount and kind of tracking them to other works by that same artist that we already have in our collections, and then expanding that into the library as a whole. And it can be a little bit complicated because we are such a large institution. Uh, So one of the questions that we ask ourselves quite a bit is both, you know, what is our place in the Library of Congress? as a division? And then what is our place in the wider world of books and access? So like I said, rare, rare books and special collections, and we collect all of these different things. But in our institution, we also have a prints and photographs division. We have a manuscripts division. So when we start to collect things like that, there's overlap in those materials. So we're really trying to focus right now on understanding what our role is in terms of art specifically and where we fit within that larger constellation of collecting, books. Both within the Library of Congress and then more broadly, I mean, in the sort of the industry generally. So the answer is evolving. One of the ways that we're exploring it is having the Aramount actually serve as a basis for what we're going to keep collecting. Uh, so as an example, we recently acquired a copy of Goya's uh, toromakia which if you haven't seen it, it's stunning. Uh, and that is directly related to the Goya holdings that we have in the Aramount. So we looked at what we had in the Aramount, we looked at the holes, what we were missing, and then we're gonna start to
0: collect to kind of start to fill those holes up. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. But just so I'm clear, this means that everything is done electronically and the books actually stay in their own separate little library collection. But people will have access online. For example, they'll see, oh, this book is connected to this, kind of like a spider web or, or more like a family tree, I guess. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it is. It's definitely, there's both, yeah, the physical location of the stuff, which is exactly like you're saying, it'll sort of continue to live by itself. And then there's sort of the more, the like larger uh, cognitive choreography that we do around our collections. And so when you go into the catalog, say you're going on to the Library of Congress catalog, Everything will be findable by the Aramount Collection. All the catalog records will actually have that. And then, yes, we do use things like subject headings or artist names so that somebody could click on, say Georges Brock and all of the books that have George Brock and it would pop up, including things like the Aramount.
0: Wow, What a lot of work that must have been, and ongoing, I'm sure. And like you said, within every department, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Emily, you mentioned Leve d'Ariste. Can you explain the links between artists' books and leave to artists, please? Mandy, this is a tough one.
1: (laughs) And literally. That's why I asked it.
0: And I'm sure you're the one to give us a full explanation.
1: Yeah, well, I think about this all the time. Probably too much. Uh, And first, I would like to say that I reserve the right to change my mind here. (laughs) And I also want to acknowledge that there are some very strong opinions on this, uh, some of which will be different than mine. So I'm speaking of myself as I go into this uh, answer. So artist books, in my conception, are book or book-like objects that may exist both as unique pieces or as multiples, by which I mean unique piece. It's there's only one of them, that's it, or a multiple might be made sort of in additions, I think when you think about artist books, artist intention is really important here. There are artist books in the collection that do not look or behave like a traditional book, but the artist intends them to be understood as such. Uh, so, for example, I could think of an artist like Julie Chen, who works out of California. She creates these really amazing sculptural books, uh, and her work requires sort of this. Balance of interaction and play between object and reader, uh, which is in itself sort of like a book like behavior. Uh, a leaved d'artiste, on the other hand, is a little bit easier for me to define. It has more of a codified definition. More or less, these are going to be luxury publications that feature original work by an artist. So they might, they're typically going to be prints, whether that's, you know, lithograph or some kind of intaglio process. Uh, They are published in limited editions and they're generally a collaboration between a visual artist, a writer of some type, and then a publisher. And the real golden age of the Leaved Artiste, uh, as represented in the Aramount Library, is really going to be. These publications that are created in the first part of the 20th century, primarily in Europe, mostly in France. Uh, But of course, there are tons of books being made in the Livre tradition that fall outside of those sort of temporal and spatial parameters. But that's, I think, a good
0: rule of thumb. And these books, the Livre d'Artiste, are they still being made? Are publishers still printing them?
1: They are. And actually, and there's conversation around leave D'Artiste, a lot of folks also talk about fine press materials. And some of the folks that are going to be at the symposium are still working in this tradition of original art and collaborative work as well. And that's part of what we wanted to try to pull out was understand, you know, we sort of have this historical body of work that we're very interested in, but then we know that there's also this continuum that people are still doing and it's, it, it definitely exists and needs to be mapped out.
0: Could you say that the livre d'artiste is more of a collaborative form of literature, or rather a collaborative art form, in that you have the artist, writer, and publisher?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that collaboration is a really good way to... Think that through. I mean, there are absolutely leaved artists that are not collaborative. I'm thinking specifically of something like Matisse's jazz, that was just him doing that. Uh, but again, it also has the original art in it. So I think that that's also a really big piece of it is that sense of the original print.
0: And this is what makes the Aramont Library collection so remarkable. I remember when I spoke with Gordon Hollis, the original curator of the Aramont Library. His knowledge and love for the collection and every single book was highly impressive. He's wonderful. And he's got such great background stories on it. And it's
1: yeah, it's really only information that he has, uh, which really just uh, enriches our understanding of the collection so much more, because it really is bigger than the sum of its parts in a lot of ways. So it's important to have that perspective.
0: Yes. Having Gordon's original stories to go with the collection is definitely an added bonus. Okay Emily, I know you're still reading Ulysses, but what else are you currently reading? I am.
1: <laughs> I have sort of put some other things in. So, you know, my husband and I we went on vacation in Greece in September, so I took along a collection of uh, Greek short stories with me, which was great. I always like to read something that's located in the place that we're going. Uh, So that was a pleasure. And then I also just finished a really great book by a scholar named Catherine Grant. It's called A Time of One's Own. And uh, in it, she maps uh, like sort of contemporary feminist histories in art. So it's a really interesting exposition and exploration of how sort of like feminist and queer theory uh, is embodied in the art practices of a bunch of people I had never been introduced to. So it was both thought provoking uh, and then also really exciting to get the name of a lot of artists that now I get to learn a bunch about.
0: I appreciate what you were saying about getting into the mood of the country you're going to visit before you leave and and reading about the culture or reading stories written by people who live there.
1: Yeah. And you get that perspective. And like you're saying, like the cadence of a place, which I feel like is so important. And especially when you're traveling, obviously, like you want to have that sense of what's happening historically, but then to access that culturally, I think is just another level. It's like experiencing like a local food. You want to have all of those different flavors, whether they're aesthetic or literary or what it is. It's such an enriching way to prepare yourself to travel.
0: I love that you've used the word cadence, which is one of my favorite words when describing beautiful literature. I found that some of my favorite pieces of writing were more often than not written by writers who also are artists or musicians or dancers. In other words, they've experienced another form of creativity apart from writing. And this is another reason I'm excited about viewing the Livre d'Artiste books at the Aramont Library Symposium. I think
1: so, too. And I I feel the same way. I think it's almost like a synesthetic kind of viewing when you look at these books. And again, especially knowing that these other artists, that they had other sort of practices in their constellation, right? And it's the same thing with some of our speakers as well. I think Jamie Murphy, again, who's from Dublin. So uh, if you go on his website, The Salvage Press, uh, their books are also supported by beautiful films that he's making around them. And there really are all of these different pieces coming in, and you get that sense of that rhythm uh, when you're working with those books, which is incredible. Also, before I forget, Mandy, send me your list of Irish female
0: authors. I would love to get some names. Absolutely. That would be my pleasure. Do you read much fiction? I do. Yeah, I love fiction. I do too. And I just love the scene around books, around literature. It's somewhat unique and extraordinary
1: it is it's exciting and it's comforting and it like makes me feel like there's always possibility i'm just looking at my books right now on my shelf and i'm like oh there's so many wonderful things to discover like it's a little bit cliche but it's true it just it, it makes me feel like things are
0: expanding and let's face it reading is the cheapest form of travel we can go to different countries different times a different universe and yes you're right it's exciting it's grounding yes it is Emily, as always, you're a gem of information. I wish you all the best with the symposium, and I cannot wait to meet you in person. And for anyone interested in attending the symposium, you can find all the links in the show notes. And Emily, I will see you in January. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Mandy. You've been listening to my conversation with Emily Moore, curator at the Library of Congress, regarding the symposium at the Library of Congress in January, titled Making the Modern Book, The Aramont Library. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Mandy Jackson Beverly, And check out my website at MandyJacksonBeverly.com. And if you'd like to contribute to the coffee fund, Go to thebookshoppodcast.brassprout.com, click on the little orange heart in the right hand corner of the page, and you can donate through Buy Me a Coffee. For information regarding sponsoring an episode, email thebookshoppodcast at gmail.com. The bookshop podcast is written and produced by Mandy Jackson Beverly. Theme music provided by Brian Beverly. Executive Assistant to Mandy, Adrian Ottahan, and graphic design by Francis Ferala. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.